Welcome to Too Deep Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Clemson 42-35, to and I'm kind of sad about it. Robbie, give us a cheers. Our cheers this week will just be... Bowl games are exhibition games in my mind. They're important. They're fun. Being in a New Year's, New Year's Day six bowl is a huge accomplishment, making the playoff. But for the rest of the teams out there, it's it's important. But I think the regular season and conference championship games are really where your bread gets buttered and how people perceive you going into the next season. So with that said... I think this is the appropriate time rather than in our next episode, which will obviously be a bowl preview to do a cheers to what coach Fuente was able to accomplish in his first season, what he was able to come in with, get teams, the team on board in a completely you know different style of operating an offense, even retaining Bud Foster. But that overhaul and being able to do what this team accomplished this year, hats off to them. Well-fought year. They played. There were some ups and downs, but mostly up and far, far better than I think most any of us could have expected in the way things shook out, especially given getting we got to play for the conference championship. So cheers to, to Coach Fuente, the new coaching staff coming in, and what they were able to accomplish this year, and obviously the team as well. Man, so many things happened in this game. 11 total touchdowns, 77 combined points. And I guess the story of the game for me, Robbie, was just us playing from behind and in turn the resiliency to keep coming back. We were down 14 zip, 35 to 14, and 42 to 28. So multiple touchdown deficits at multiple points in the game. And when it was all said and done, we were only down seven with a chance to tie it at the end. Your resiliency, the words I wrote down were grit, determination, and just never never quitting. And that last one is two words. But it was very impressive. This team could have easily just rolled over when they got down and taken their shellacking by what was a very, very impressive Clemson team. I haven't watched Clemson that closely this year. I don't know how cl- closely you watch them, but the athleticism on their team, especially in that first half, what they were showing was utterly frightening in terms of pressure on the quarterback and everything. So for this team to stick with it and to keep it close all the way to the end, literally to the end, was extremely impressive. I watched a lot of the Georgia Tech game that Clemson played a lot of the Louisville game and a lot of the Florida State game. And what I feared was what I saw in that Georgia Tech game especially was the size of Clemson and that defensive line. And early in this game, my the sum of my fears was just right in front of me because they showed so much power. They were eating us alive uh, to start this game and contributed to us getting down 14-zip. And, and on the other side – their offense, they looked like Notre Dame in, that, in the start of our game against them. And they were aided by some pass interference calls early on that extended their second drive. But it was just there was a clear disparity, the one that we talked about in the preview, of talent and athletes. But the difference was there were stretches of the game where Clemson didn't look like that. And that's when we were able to take advantage. And we responded 
with an 11 play drive, but we need kind of some trickeration to get us going with that fake punt toss to Terrell Edmonds that almost wasn't because of another penalty. Yeah, I thought that was, um, well, I, I have an audio clip for you. Yeah, it's- I call it the annexation of Puerto Rico. <laughs> it's true, man. It, it was like that because no one saw it coming and it worked so well. And we haven't shown a, we haven't shown much like that. Yeah, we've shown the fullback pass, uh, which came out again, and another that was an amazing, amazing play, and very, very ballsy to pull that out at that time. But we haven't been a gadget type program a lot this season. We've done it here and there and sparingly, and certainly we haven't pulled out anything, to my knowledge, on on punts. I don't think the entire season. So it was completely out of left field. And that drive that, that it spawned from it, I said it was 11 plays, and it was huge from us to, from a point of us getting on the board. But it was also huge because it gave our defense a chance to regroup because they had been you know, taking kind of a beating for the first two drives. And the rest of the game, the defense was greatly improved. I really think that pause and the chance for Bud to, you know, get them together a little bit was important. I think Watson was 10 for 10 before that fake punt. And after that touchdown, he was 13 of 24, which is still good, but it's not 10 for 10. And you could see that the defense had a chance to just get their bearings just a little bit. And it helped a lot after that, uh, Unfortunately, the offense didn't hold up there into the bargain. After our second touchdown in the second quarter, we, we were only down seven. It was 21 to 14 going into the half. But there was over a quarter portion of the game where Evans just played terribly. Yeah, it was the. Uh, there were differing opinions on what was going on there. The offensive line was utterly outmatched in this game by Clemson's defensive line. And. Part of it, after rewatching it a couple times, was just the athleticism that is on Clemson's side of the ball. There's no no way around that. Other parts of it was Brent Venables and the way that he was scheming. You had kind of the cross blitzes. I don't know if you saw a few of those that were coming oh, yeah. in. Like very very savvy. You know, people were talking about him. Obviously, Bud Foster has a, a great resume, but talking about him and the way that he wants to apply pressure, very much similar to the way that Bud Foster does. And it worked. And Evans, for all the positives about him, and Kirk Herbstreet brought it out, said it in the game, which is absolutely true. Once you get him kind of skittish and he feels like he doesn't have a pocket, he will, wants to he wants to run it. He wants to try and get positive yardage, which is an outstanding trait, To, but it sometimes can be a detriment rather than maybe scrambling outside the pocket. He wants to just drop his head down and take it up the middle, and they knew it. They, they schemed perfectly against Gerard Evans and what his reaction would be when they apply that type of pressure and they start getting it. It, you're, it was right on, and... Fortunately for us, in the third quarter, down 35-14, to 14, and Clemson pretty much just dominating, they decided to drop 11 defenders into coverage. And for some reason, I, I don't know, still don't know why they did that, but Evans had all day to throw, and he just he could, still couldn't find anyone for a while, but finally threw up a prayer to Bucky Hodges. Bucky brings down the ball for a 42-yard gain. It was his only catch of the game for Bucky. And it was a huge turning point. It got us a first down. 
And soon after that, Trayvon scored with a really sweet run down the sideline. And I, I, I was still perplexed as to why Clemson would ha- do that defense with how well they were playing. But we scored on our next three drives in the game after that. That was really a turning point um, in terms of our comeback. There were, yeah, I think there was a, a turning point maybe before that, that that put us on our heels, and that was us not being able to score on the response, like after we intercepted the football. I, I think we all saw that as a turning point the wrong way. But that catch by Bucky Hodges was so important for us. I, you know, and I don't mean to mince words with you, but I thought it was a tremendous pass by Evans. It was in the only place that he probably could have got him and gotten that that catch, which Hodges had not been really successful you know, much. We hadn't gone to him a ton, but he didn't really have a chance. All he had was his size against a very good uh, defensive back. I thought the ball was put in the right place. If you watch Evans on that play in the pocket, he scans the field, and I thought he put... It wasn't just a Hail Mary, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It was a very calculated pass in the, the spot that he thought that he could make it happen, and he threw it about two, three yards short, which meant Bucky, Bucky would be coming up towards him, catching it at the highest point, and it worked out amazingly. Granted, that that play was outrageous. I don't know what that that was. I guess they thought Evans, you know, there's no way he's going to you know knock off that many yards if he tries to run the ball. We're going to have tons of you know coverage in the backfield. I, I just didn't understand why it was called, but I love that it was. Absolutely, man. And with as bad as Evans had played for the better part of the third quarter, the drive that got us to 28 points early in the fourth was all him. And he was running with power. We must have done it four or five times in a row. And like he just wasn't going to be denied until he got into the end zone. And, and he got there. It, it was seriously impressive. And on the following drive, the pop pass to Rodgers was set up because of those runs. Evans did a great fake into the line, pulled it back, popped it to Rodgers. Rodgers makes a good catch, and that set up the pretty pass to Cam for the next touchdown, which was a beautiful pass, right? Cam was wide open, but it was still a perfect pass, and that made it 42-35. And with four minutes left, we had the ball down seven, and I couldn't believe what I was watching because for so long in that game, you know, we had been down and they had been controlling it. And you're like, hold on a second. We we can tie this game on this drive. And unfortunately, it didn't go our way. And Clemson got the ball back, ran the clock out. Because um, they were playing pretty conservatively down the stretch, which, which helped us get the ball back a few times. Uh, but right. they, they still were able to, to wear us out at the end there. Well, and on that last play, that interception is... I don't even count it as an interception. It's a fourth and six, I think we had. Yeah, something like that. And the defensive lineman had his hand so far up Gerard Evans' ass on that play. It was indicative of what we saw in the first half of the game where he wasn't getting protection. He was getting destroyed while he threw that ball. It was almost, you could call it deflection. His arm was getting hit. I don't even... I don't even put that on him. There was no way that he was going to make that pass. Yeah. I'm just really proud of the way they played. And because of the way the national media had been covering Clemson and us going into this game, basically giving us no chance, it's kind of amazing 
how much love we're getting now when people are like, oh my God, Tech only lost by seven and, and had a chance to win. And people were definitely tuning in at the end of that game when they saw how close it was. And all of a sudden people think we're good because of a close loss when we knew it. I mean, me and I knew we were going to compete and we were getting our butts kicked for a while in this game, but I have to really give credit to our coaching staff and to Gerard Evans because they did not quit and they easily could have down 35 to 14 and they, they just, they played, they played their asses off. That's how Spencer Hall put it of every day should be Saturday in a tweet. He said, they played their asses off. And they went out and they got second asses and they played those off too. And they really yeah. did. Yeah, I love that quote. Spencer Hall, he's he's an interesting guy, but he's extremely intelligent. And I love some of his commentary. Other other times he goes for, for stuff that I'm not a big fan of. But, you know, he calls it how it is a lot of times. Evans is utterly frightening when he gets angry and wants to win a game. I, that, that was my... The overall takeaway for kind of the positives and players of the game is when he gets pissed off and I love it about him. I love every moment of it. He is actually scary on what he can do on the field. If you gave him in this game, a very fundamentally sound, bigger, tougher offensive line. And I'm not trying to hate on the offensive line. I'm just saying that if you were out to recruit you know, in an Iowa offensive line or like somewhere that you can get that type of player, he would, we would have won this game. He, he was playing on his heels for a little bit, but even when he's playing on his heels, he finds a way to kind of regroup and get yardage and at least make the game competitive. And I was just super impressed with what he did and the resiliency that he led the team through um, in this game. It was pretty incredible. And my other hat tip was to Cam Phillips. Yeah. He's come into his own in so many ways. I'll say. It, it's, yeah, it's, it's incredible how dangerous he is. He had more than half of the receptions that, for the whole team. I think he had 12, and we had 24, 25 receptions in the entire game for 92 yards. 92% of the passes to him, he can he caught. It was only 13 attempts that went at him that he didn't catch. He's just really become, you know, for somebody, everybody was looking at Ford, and Cam Phillips really took an opportunity this year to become a player that people should be paying attention to and took full advantage of it. I agree on Cam Phillips. He was great in this game and has been really great down this stretch. I mean, his touchdown against Notre Dame was one of the main reasons we were able to come back. And what with what Ford draws and how good he is, Ford ended of the, ended the season with seventy three catches. Cam had seventy. Like, think about that. Like, we think Ford is, you know, so amazing, and we we love Cam, but like, you know, he is. He, unfortunately for him, the timing of it, he plays second fiddle to Isaiah Ford. But he was only three catches behind him on the year. It's amazing. The the only last uh, point I would say, just kind of on the the positives and players of the game, is we we did get pressure against Deshaun Watson, and I don't I I don't want to make it feel like you know he was just kind of he ran havoc on us in the in the first half, absolutely. But some of his passes, he had at least three or four passes where he was almost getting brought down at the time that he made the pass. He's an outstanding athlete. 
Now he just he's up for Heisman contention. And the defensive line, I think, played their hearts out and did a really good job. It showed up over the full scope of the game. The first half, it was a little bit frustrating, but a lot of the passes that he made were just a, a freak athlete making really good passes to really good receivers. And I think I think the defensive side of the ball deserves a lot of props for the energy that they put in, and they were worn out, just like you said. In that first half, it was it must have been a tiring, grueling atmosphere for them, and they still came through overall to make this a competitive game. Yeah, I want to expand on both Watson and some of our defensive players after the beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking over there? So I'm having the Aleworks. Um, it is the Coffee House seasonal selection. It is a coffee stout. Aleworks we've had on here before is out of Williamsburg, Virginia. We had a few requests that we need to get some more stouts, porters, some of the darker beers on on the podcast. I'm an IPA guy, but I do appreciate a good stout every now and again. Porters are a little harder for me to uh, to get on board with. And it's a it's a pretty good beer if you're I kind of like I like coffee in general. I'm a coffee guy, too much caffeine. And if you like that kind of flavor in your in your beer, this is a this is a well-balanced, not over the top. You know, you can still get a little bit of alcohol bite in it. It doesn't taste like a, you know, a, uh, you know, you're heading to Starbucks. It's very good. I like it a lot. And I would definitely have this again, especially given the season. I like it. You got something other than an IPA over there. Nice. It's that time of year. I'm drinking the Lights Out Holiday Ale by Blue Mountain Brewery. I went down to Virginia to watch the game because of the lack of Hokies up in Philadelphia. I met up with some friends, went to Spider Kelly's in Arlington for the game, which was packed to the gills with Hokie fans. I'll tell you, Hokie Nation is alive and well. There was a line outside that place the entire night. But while I was down there, I was able to stop at my friend's liquor store, Downtown Crown in uh, Gaithersburg. It's got a really good selection of winter beers, and this is one of them. Blue Mountain Brewery is out of Arrington, uh, Virginia, which is in Nelson County. I think you said it's right outside Charlottesville. And this is a pretty tasty holiday ale. I would, with a holiday ale, I always want a little bit more spice and a little bit more maybe like cinnamon or nutmeg type flavor. And this is a little bit weak on that front, and also is drinks a little bit more like um, like a cascale, and that there's little carbonation, but it's okay. Seven percent alcohol by volume. I'm not sure I'd want to buy a six pack of this, but I, I would have another one. Uh, the Lights Out Holiday Ale by Blue Mountain Brewery. Robbie, can I just talk about Deshaun Watson for a minute before we get to our own players? Because he continued his hot streak in this game. Five total touchdowns, 373 total yards, 85 of which was rushing, which really hurt us in this game, was his rushing ability. And we knew it was going to be a problem. Him and Gallman both had nice days running the football. But do you think at this point Watson should win the Heisman? No, no, I don't. No, I, 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 he is an excellent player. He's exceptional in the field. He showed it against Virginia Tech, which I like to think that we have a pretty good defense. And this, this, what happened this year for Clemson, which a lot of people have commented on, was it was almost as though they tried to turn him into a pocket passer. 
and when you unleash his feet in the game and he can start doing things in that avenue, it brings out a new highlight in him. And I think this year for him was about demonstrating what his arm can do, what he can do in the pocket. And that went well for him in some games and it backfired for him in some games. But what he did versus what Lamar Jackson did, I I don't, I don't see is that comparable. I, Lamar Jackson seems to have set <laughs> almost every record uh, in the at least in the ACC that that's ever existed in terms of total touchdowns, in terms of whatever total yards, at least all the relevant ones, you know, in the modern day area of football. So he's excellent, but I'm I'm also you know just kind of a common everyday fan and. Lamar Jackson, I think, in a lot of ways, made plays that just didn't make sense. It yeah. reminds me back to the Michael Vick days. It's when people on commentary would just say, what he's doing doesn't actually make sense. Like, you, you shouldn't be able to do that at this era of football. And that's what Lamar Jackson, what Deshaun yeah. Watson does, kind of makes sense. He's a good quarterback. Yeah, with, with Jackson, it's, it's spectacular. You know what? What what he's doing on the field, like visually, is stunning. And Watson is, while an amazing player, it's it's more of like uh, it's just a super efficient quarterback doing his thing. I mean, the one thing I'd say is that the fifty-one touchdowns by Jackson, and we're not going to get too deep into this. I kind of think Deshaun Watson should win the Heisman, and this is my reason for saying this. One, he's a conference champ. He just beat us, and so now I'm a little bit more biased. He also beat Lamar Jackson. And while that game was at Clemson, and that, that has to factor in, and the game was very close, Jackson threw up 15 of his 51 total touchdowns against Marshall and Charlotte. So when you look at their ACC touchdowns and their ACC numbers, they're virtually identical. And Watson beat Jackson, and he won the conference. So, And, and he had a 68% completion percentage, which is 10 percentage points higher than Jackson's. Uh, hey, Jackson had 1,500 yards rushing, so... It just depends on what you're, and you were right on. Like you know, Jackson is more visually spectacular when it came to the playmaking ability, and that sometimes that's what goes into what, what wins the Heisman. So it's just an interesting aside. But Watson was just awesome, and and without him, I mean, Clemson is probably a very good team, but just very good. They're not great. No, I agree with that. But I would also, um, and I would have to, I would have to go through and look. Th- through the actual rosters, but I feel like there's more talent on Clemson than no there doubt. is on Louisville. No doubt. About so there's there's help. I think the wide receivers are better there. The defense is is better there. It it, it helps your quarterback a lot when he has confidence that he can kind of he can screw up and your 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 defense is going to help you out at the end of the day. Right, but how much more would Deshaun Watson have to do if he didn't have the playmakers? Maybe he would have more rushing yards and more passing yards if his team was down more and all that kind of stuff. But I think we've we've talked enough of Heisman for now. Let's talk about the Hokies. And you mentioned how good the defense played, and there were so many guys you could shout out. I mean, Mahota looking like the bionic man out there all wrapped up, knocking down passes, creating the interception on Watson, uh, which uh, was caught by Motuapuaka. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, 12 total tackle, tackles and a tackle floor. I mean, Terrell Edmonds' play, wh- whether it was on that uh, 
fake punt or just doing his thing on defense. The last three or four or five weeks, he has been unbelievable. He plays so aggressive. I love his style. It reminds me of all the guys we used to have back in the day who would just kick ass on defense. His brother, Tremaine, eight total tackles in a hurry. I thought Adonis, while he got that pass interference call earlier in the game, that was actually on the offense. And and yeah. and he got screwed on that. He did a really good job. They put him on Mike Williams more than Faison, it seemed like. And he held his own for as much he as was you in can. A tough spot against Mike Williams is outstanding. There he is an incredible receiver. And he got put in a tough spot and I thought he played pretty well. I don't like going into calls and all that kind of kind I know, of thing. I know. But it's but the one the the uncatchable pass was yeah. a load of horse shit. First of all, that was four feet over anybody's head that exists in, in the world. Maybe a basketball player could catch that. But that was not a good call. And they were just put in a tough spot. The Early on in the game, the flags were just going towards Clemson. It was just the way it was going. Some of it was our fault, absolutely. But there were a few bad calls sprinkled in there. And the defense overall, I thought... It was it was tough early on. They yeah, Clemson was moving the ball any way that they wanted early in the game, whether it was the run, whether it was the pass, but they tightened down very very quickly and to keep this team that is humming on all cylinders. Clemson after that pit loss, these past two games before this one is rocking and rolling right now. This was not a team that's on their heels. They were coming out aggressive and ready to play. So to hold them, what we did, you know, I know it's a lot of points for what we're used to, but I thought the defense played very well. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree. The I, Yeah, you're right. We don't want to talk about the calls too much. It, it, they happened early in the game, and they put us in a hole. And I read this thing on the key play before the game even started that Clemson's opponents are the most flagged in college football. And it, <laughs> it, it came through again in our game. What can you do? Tim Settle, how about that move to get a tackle for a loss? Uh, it was it looked like a sack, but I guess it was a running play by Watson, so it was called a TFL. But man, he looked quick. Finished with one point five tackles for loss, and he's poised to have a big season next year for us with the departure of Woody Barron and uh, Nigel Williams. He's he's going to be amazingly important for us. And I have to give a shout out to uh, our punter Ludwig. He had a great day punting the football. 60, he had a 60-yarder in the game and averaged like 45 yards per punt. And plus he had uh, – uh, that pass that he made to Edmonds, it was complete, but it was a little bit – almost got called back because of where he threw it. If it, But whatever. He even had a nice pass in the game when it really came down to it. Edmonds made a good play on it. But he has struggled this year. And to have a nice punting game in this game, that, that helped us. So we talked about the negatives in terms of the, the calls, and we we talked a little bit about – the not being able to capitalize on that interception in the third quarter. I mean, I think there's some broader thoughts here on the negatives, which is we could not establish a run game. It's, yeah. it's, it's non-existent at this point outside of Evans. And that is a, as excited as I am about thinking Evans could, he may not, he may not. I mean, I think he will may not. We'll come back next year. I'm equally scared that we need to find some depth on that side of the ball because the run game outside of him 
when he gets angry and just decides to pound the ball and the offensive line does what they need to do to give him an opening was was not good. It was a it was really bad actually. And yeah. that is going to that's really scary for what we are used to in Virginia Tech football. Granted, we're not in the traditional Virginia Tech football system any longer, but it wasn't it, it I don't want to. I don't want to get too down on it just because of this game. We were down on it before, but then we went out and we had 290 yards rushing on a bad UVA team. So we can run the ball when when uh, we're playing out someone not so good. This team, we knew running the football was going to be a tough feat. We still got to 100 yards. Trayvon did have the 26 yard run where he just carried a guy right into the end zone. That was just a poor effort trying to make a tackle there, but. I agree. It's a problem, and it's been a problem. Um, I don't want to get too down on it because of this. This defensive line, I mean, it's it was going to be really, really tough. We talked about it. And I think, I do think, that between Evans and just a little bit that Trayvon was able to do late, in the beginning it was bad, but the, what we were able to do late what was enough. It put us enough to win the game, and that's all we said we wanted. We said we needed something, and we got something, especially in that – that drive where Evans was just – I don't know what Clemson was doing. Evans was just pounding it and pounding it and yeah. right into the end zone. And then I think beyond that, otherwise, the only other you know issue that I had with the game was the, the offensive line. And you're up against one of the top defensive lines in the nation. So I don't know how negative I can be about it, but we gave up four sacks, eight tackles for a loss – I don't know how much pressure there would have been if you ran the stats on it. And we didn't pick up cues in a way that I think that we should have. If you remember the one play, I think it was early on in the game where the the defensive line and offensive line, it basically looked like the offensive line just stood still for Clemson. Yeah. And the defensive line comes bum-rushing through. And I am not a football savant by any means, but I'm thinking to myself, this is a screenplay. And the linebackers all go backwards to look for the pass, like beyond the line of scrimmage. And I'm thinking to myself, what what are you doing? Like, the, like that's just obvious what's happening here. Like, they're going to throw the screen. Like, that's the point. Get the defensive line out of the way. Get everybody rushing up front. There, there was just some miscues on on that side that I think we need to to clean up a little bit. But overall, I thought the team played really, really well. Yeah, against against what seemed like a superior team, they played admirably. I, I, I'm, I'm telling myself they were clearly the superior team because that's how I'm dealing with the loss. But that doesn't mean we couldn't have won. Less superior teams win all the time, and if a couple of those calls early on had gone the other way, uh, if Evans doesn't have a brain fart for a quarter, um, maybe maybe we win this game. I, you know, Clemson is super good. They're they outtalent us by a ton, and their size was was clear to see while you're watching the game. But we had our, we had our chance. Are you ready for this stat, which was mind blowing to me? So. At the the quarter that you referred to, where Gerard Evans kind of had the brain fart, our entire offense had a brain fart. They <laughs> it was at the end of the second. 
quarter, early third, mm-hmm. Gerard had seven incompletions in a row. Oh my God. And there was a sack in between that as well. So there was there was some running. There was but seven incompletions in a row. To put that in context, the longest prior to that was four that he's ever had in a row in a game this season. And it happened against once against Pitt, once against UNC, BC, and Liberty. So seven plays in a row. I kept watching. I was watching the game again, thinking to myself, is he going to complete a pass? And then I went back and looked at the stats, and it was seven in a row that we had incompletions on, which is not characteristic of, no. of what we've been doing on offense this season. Yeah, and when you're going up against the best defense you faced, I guess that's the time that that's going to happen. But in that process, in that period of time, that's when Clemson extended their lead to 21 points, and it proved too much to come back from. The last thing I had was Dabo was very complimentary of Virginia Tech after the game, and I've always liked Dabo Sweeney. I think the way he motivates and the way he talks to the media is different than almost any other coach out there. He, he's He's interesting. And what he had to say about VT is, you know, he thinks that we'll be a fixture in the ACC title game going forward. He has a lot of respect for Coach Fuente. You hinted at that in the last podcast when you talked about the connection they have. I was happy to hear that, and I agree with it. <laughs> right. It's the during ACC media days, somebody had mentioned to one of the media members that the the team that they're most scared of overall was in terms of being able to progress and being a fixture in the ACC and being dangerous. And the quote is far off from what I just stated, but that was the general point. And looking at this game, I would not be surprised, and especially given their history between Dabo and Coach Fuente, that it was probably Dabo that said that. I think they have a lot of respect for each other. And I love Dabo, and that was the thing that I said. After we lost... My uncle I was watching the game with looked at me and he was like, so what are your thoughts? I said, I hate how much I like Dabo (laughs) right now because it makes it hard for me to be angry because I think he's a genuine guy. Okay, so we have a bowl game to talk about and also just our big picture stuff on how we finished in the rankings and all that kind of stuff. Let's do one more beer break before we do that. Pete, so what are you drinking over there today? It's another one of these winter... Seasonal beers. I've got the Anderson Valley Winter Solstice Seasonal Ale. And I've had the Winter Solstice several times before. Whenever I see it on a menu at any bar, I order it because I really, really like it. 6.9% alcohol. And unlike the lights out I was drinking earlier, this has a lot of those flavors like caramel, malty, uh, allspice, like those kind of things that you expect from winter ale. It might be a little too much on the caramel side for some people, but I still really like it. And uh, Anderson Valley, Boonville, California, they make a lot of a lot of good beers. I would recommend the winter solstice to anyone. It's a great beer this time of year. Robbie, what are you having? So I am having the sour IPA. Tart and juicy is the uh, tagline for it. It's a IPA from Epic Brewing Company. It's it's good. Out of Denver, Denver, Colorado. We've had Epic on, I think, a couple times on this podcast. But in the spirit of trying to mix things up, this is basically a sour. It's got very, very light hops, if anything. 
I've had a few sours in the past. I like them. My wife loves them. It's sours are an acquired taste at the end of it's not my thing. Yeah. It depends on, on, on what you like. This is actually very good and refreshing. It takes, especially going from, from what I was drinking to this, it takes, uh, you go from a coffee stout to a sour and it takes a few drinks to get used to it. But once you do, and you get past like the initial just tartness of, of the beer, it's actually very refreshing and probably a little bit strange to be drinking during the winter, but I think it's good. It's low alcohol. It's about four and a half percent. I like it though. I, I think I could probably drink it while playing cornhole during the summer. In the winter, it's probably a little rougher on the taste buds and just the atmosphere, but it's, it's a pretty good beer. It's, it's, I like it. Yeah, my girlfriend really likes the sours too. I wonder if it's just females in general appreciate the sour beers more. I'm not sure. All right. So in the latest AP poll, Virginia Tech has moved up one spot to number 18 after the loss to Clemson. And the committee also moved them up one spot to number 22. And speaking of the committee, the playoff is officially set now with with Clemson winning and Washington winning. I feel like as just a college football podcast, we have to mention that Bama is going to play Washington in one of the semifinals, and Clemson is going to play Ohio State in the other semifinal. Clemson actually moved all the way up to number two after the win over us, not number three, which was kind of interesting. I don't know how you would handicap those games, but I think we both think Bama is going to win. We'll pick we'll pick the playoff games, I guess, when we do our bowl preview. But Clemson Ohio State is going to be awesome. Yeah, you give Urban Meyer this much time to figure out a scheme, and he's always dangerous. There's no way around it. I think the maturity is on the side of Clemson, obviously, you know, with uh, the amount of talent that they have and mm-hmm. the amount of starts that their their team has brought back this year. And I, that game's going to be a good one. I think that's that's the intriguing match, matchup. Washington, I hope they come out and make a game of it, but I think all eyes are going to be on what happens with Clemson and Ohio State. Interestingly, Ohio State's a favorite in that game. So we'll see. I think they got the four right, and it's going to make for a good playoff. Yeah, it really should. Our bowl game. Virginia Tech is in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, and we're going to play Arkansas. To me, I'm stoked about this matchup. I I feel like it's the best possible outcome when you consider we could have ended up in Orlando again in the Russell Athletic Bowl. I, th- I guess we could have ended up in the pinstripe bowl. Um, there are a couple of other possibilities, but to be in Charlotte, three hours from Blacksburg, easy travel for most Hokie fans against a very beatable seven and five Arkansas team. I'm pleased. How do you feel, Robbie? I felt great about it. I didn't, I didn't understand why everybody else was, uh, well, I shouldn't say everybody else. Some people were, or some of the fan base was upset about it. I, yeah, there's more money associated with some of the other bowls that we could have got in, but we offset that with the Battle of Bristol where we brought in $4 million off of that game. We're going to have a great contingent of Hokie fans there to send off our seniors and to really kick off uh, the 2000, I think of it almost as the next season, to kick off what's going to happen in 2017. 
yeah, it's not going to be the warmest weather in the entire world, but I'm going there to watch football. I'm not going there to to sunbathe. So <laughs> for me, I'll find a couple breweries, I'll go visit them, and I'll be a happy camper because I think it's a, it's a fun matchup. It's against the SEC on top of that, and it's a winnable game to help us in this gigantic effort to try and show that the ACC conference is legitimate and we're starting to get there, but there's more work to be done. And we're part of that, that puzzle in order to, to show people that we can go out and we can beat these teams. So it's a winnable game. I'm excited about it. Arkansas has been up and down every, all year and I think it'll be fun. Yeah. I, we're going to do a bigger Arkansas preview in a couple of weeks um, and we'll we'll keep you apprised of that on Twitter and otherwise. But to me, this team—if you look at their S and P rating, if you look at their F slash plus ranking—I mean, they're in the fifties, and we're like mid twenties. I mean, we—if any metric you want to look at, we're better than Arkansas. Like it, we we'll, we're already six point favorites. Um, we're gonna—I would think—have more home fans. Although the SEC does travel well, we'll see. See what Arkansas brings to Charlotte, but I would expect there to be, you know, a a little bit of an advantage in terms of our fans in the stadium. I, I'm excited. I'm excited about this to have a chance, a good chance to get to that 10 win benchmark. That is big for this program. I I don't care if it comes in 14 games. If you can get to 10 wins, it, it means a lot, and it's something you can say to recruits. It's the momentum of winning the bowl game going into the following year, into the recruiting cycle, all that stuff. And like you said, it's an SEC team. This Beating them, it, it's something to a lot of people still, even though the SEC, other than Bama, is probably just as just as weak or as good as any other conference. It's, it's not nothing special outside of Bama this season. They're coming in at 7-5, and five and we should beat them. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I think it'll be a good game, uh, and we get Bielema. So that's always that's always yeah. How about him not uh, ranking us in the coaches <laughs> poll this week? That made a lot of news. Yeah, that people have nothing to write about. I think is what that's all about. <laughs> so his he doesn't write any of his submissions. So yeah. I wouldn't get too I wouldn't get too wrapped up around that. But it'll be a fun game. They're a fun fan base and they're energetic and that's what I want. I don't want to play a team that doesn't have another solid fan base and can have some fun with what is what we all need to ground ourselves in an exhibition game. I had a couple final year stats that I just wanted to mention before we uh, kind of do our, our sign off here. And Gerard Evans finished with 37 total TDs over the 13-game season, which is just amazing. It's a school record. 27 passing, 10 rushing, only 7 picks, and 63.5% completion percentage, which I think is also a school record. Isaiah Ford, 1,000 yards for the second year in a row. We had never had a 1,000-yard receiver before last year, and now he's done it two years in a row. 73 catches for 1038 and 7 touchdowns. Just awesome. And we said it earlier, but Cam Phillips wasn't terribly far behind with 70 receptions of his own, 868 yards, and five touchdowns. To round out the big three, Bucky added seven touchdowns of his, in his own right. So it was um, a great season that we might never see again in terms of the wide receiver production from those big three. 
Really, really impressive and a pleasure to watch all season long. On the defensive side, both Woody Barron and Tremaine Edmonds both finished with 17 or more tackles for loss, which was top 20 nationally. Both of them were top 20 nationally. How awesome is that? I didn't know they were both coming in top 20, but that is incredible. That That's a really solid year for a defensive program that we had our ebbs and flows, but generally played very well this year, and they were lights out above that. I mean, if Tremaine increases on this trajectory going forward with 17 tackles for loss this year, what could he do next year? I, I mean, it, it's... It's uh, It would be some historic numbers that he might be able to put up in this defense. Uh, well, it ties into what Bud Foster said about, I think Bud Foster came out a few times and said, as he matures, he is going to be a very scary guy on the defensive side of the ball. And it's just shown through the games that we've played this year. The 13 games, we've seen how much he's matured just in that time frame. And it's incredible. It really is. The last thing I wanted to touch on, Robbie, was uh, the basketball team. And I know this is a little bit off of uh, our normal topic. We talk mostly football, but we try to do the best we can in giving you some basketball updates. And while the team fell to Texas A&M in the Wooden Legacy Tournament last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago now, they beat Nebraska to finish out that tournament. And then they went on and played Michigan in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And that was one hell of a game. We were down by as many fifteen as by as many as fifteen points in the game, but came all the way back and ended up winning seventy three to seventy in Ann Arbor. Michigan was ranked the previous week, so they're a very very good basketball team. Lede scored fifteen of his eighteen points in the second half. Both Bibbs and Seth Allen hit shots down the stretch, and we're six and one with just five non conference games to go before we play. Uh, Duke on New Year's Eve to kick off ACC play. It's It's been an amazing start to the season so far. They've all three programs that are getting highlighted right now. Football, men's basketball, women's basketball are playing outstanding. But the things Buzz Williams is doing with this program, again, I think are ahead of schedule, just like what Justin Fuente is doing, are ahead of schedule of what most people probably would have thought was possible when he came in. And that's also not having one of the players that was probably going to be key to the basketball team, which was Blackshear, who who went out. So that's an incredible feat to do during that time because we lost one of our other big bodies and we're having to play small ball and they're playing it really well, really hard, really aggressive, extremely excited for that program. And the last Virginia Tech sports program we should mention is the wrestling team who went out to Las Vegas this past weekend and finished third in a big, big invitational tournament. They were six in the country last week. I'm not sure what they are now, but that wrestling team has chance, has a chance to do great things this year. And we'll hopefully give you updates at the tail end of our podcast on them as well as the year goes forward. Unfortunately for the men's soccer team, they were ousted from the NCAA tournament this past weekend against Wake. Uh, they were in the elite eight but we're unable to advance to the Final Four. But what a fall it has been for Virginia Tech sports in general. Uh, we couldn't be more proud because this wasn't always the case for Virginia Tech to have so many sports playing at a high level. and It was always just football and everything else. 
And uh, it's it's really great to see what's been happening this fall. I don't think it's any coincidence of the timing of Whip Babcock coming Whip Whit Babcock coming in and and seeing the results in all these different sports because he went out in we know in football, men's basketball and women's basketball and got the right coach for the job in each case. So shout out to Whip Babcock. Whip Whit God I can't say his name tonight. Whit Babcock. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> anyway, all right. I think that's gonna that's gonna do it. We're gonna do like I said earlier, a uh, bowl preview. Maybe next week, maybe the week after, but we'll get one out before the Arkansas game and touch on the other sports and what's happening. But as always, thanks for listening this entire season. It's been great. We've had a lot of uh, people reaching out to us these last two weeks, uh, people who went down to Orlando, people giving us beer recommendations. And it's been really cool uh, just to, to see how many Hokies out there are dedicated to our teams and are listening and just want to be informed about everything that's going on. And it, it's been great. Yeah, it's humbling for sure. And it's uh, it's been great for a couple of couple of guys sitting around drinking beer talking about football and hockey sports. So we always appreciate it. Hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DeepVT, 2DeepVT at gmail.com if you want to send us anything that requires a little bit more uh, secrecy or uh, under-the-radar type stuff. And if you want to subscribe on iTunes or write us a review, we would really appreciate that. That always helps us out a lot. Until the bowl preview, go Hokies.